Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. Hello and welcome to Bring Design Closer. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a service design trainer and practitioner based in Dublin City, Ireland. I was in Toronto recently for the Service Design Network's Global Conference and caught up with Alan Smith, the wonderful co-founder and design leader at Strategizer HQ in one of the coolest ends of the city. In this episode, we chat about the early days of forming the business with Alex Osterwalder and working with Yves Pignure and how this led to becoming one of the most celebrated business educators on the planet. We get into the nitty gritty of sustaining momentum with their tools post-workshops and how they see the canvas as getting adopted into new ways of working. I also managed to get a look at their new third book, Testing Business Ideas. We discussed that in detail. That is due out in November this year. Alan was such a great person to chat with and I really enjoyed our time together. Let's get straight into the episode. Alan Smith, a very warm welcome to Bringing Design Closer. How are you? I'm doing great and welcome to Toronto. Yeah, man, I'm sitting here in the Strategizer office, drinking red wine, watching a sunset <laughs> over in Art College with Alan Smith, co-founder of Strategizer. Alan, for people who don't know Strategizer and don't know you, how do you describe yourself and tell us what you guys do? Oh man, this is one of those things where I need to be concise, right? <laughs> yeah. That's so hard. Within 10 minutes. Within 10 minutes. Okay, first 10 minutes, explain <laughs> what do we do here. So I'm a designer, I'm a design trained entrepreneur. And you know, started out uh, in design school, so probably like a lot of people listening to the podcast. At Strategizer, we take really fuzzy, hard business problems, and we try to make them easier to understand and talk about, create shared language, process, and ways of thinking about things that are just really, really hard. Like the hardest things that I've failed on so many times, we're just trying to figure out how they work break it down into smaller pieces, make it easier, and then give that to people. Yeah. And from speaking with you earlier, it's an education business. It's as you create books, but you also do workshops, but and you also do web apps. Yeah, that's right. So there's, there's lots of capabilities and lots of streams of design going on here, different types of design. That's right. And today we're going, we're going to chat more about uh, the evolution of the value proposition canvas and the, the evolution of the business model canvas and where you guys are at at this moment in time yeah yeah so talk to us there's a really good story um for anyone listening like we're, we're going to hear it now from alan about the whole kind of how it all came together sure how, how it all started so tell us you know you had a brilliant design consultancy in toronto called the movement and you you got introduced to a workshop that was happening in the area that's right so at the movement, we were launching products and they were all failing. You know, I don't need to give you the details, but we weren't doing that well <laughs> with our product development. Yeah. Okay, and the products were nice; they were well designed. Um, they digital were easy products. to use. Digital products. Yeah, they're well designed. They're easy to use. They're solving meaningful problems for people. And we were kind of asking ourselves, well, what do our clients do? Right? We were young. We were really dumb. We weren't that smart. And you know, I'm not that much smarter now, but I have I've picked up some experience along the way. Yeah. The challenge we were having was there was no business model, and that sounds silly now. You know, sitting where I am today, that yeah. that's the mistake we were making. You know, multiple times, but you know, I made that mistake multiple times. Of we were creating value for people, but we weren't capturing any value for ourselves. We weren't thinking about outside of the product 
and the customer, what else was there to make this thing an engine that can move forward on its own? So I went to learn more about it, and I got introduced to to this workshop, and it was here at Mars Discovery District, which is a place where they train entrepreneurs here in Toronto. And shout out to Mars. They're, they're fantastic. They do excellent work. They use the canvases now, which is amazing. Yeah. But at that point in time, this is the first time the business model canvas came to Canada, and I saw it on the wall. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, that should be software. That thing should be the business design. Like it, That should be Adobe Creative Suite for business, yeah. right? Like there was no tools that I had in my toolbox to help me with this type of problem. And yeah. so I was just immediately attracted to it. It took up all of my headspace and it just felt like, you know, when a door has been unlocked in your mind yeah. and now it's like, this is so much clearer than it was. I was just so confused. And now I'm like, I think I can work with this. I just had that feeling of like, you know, somebody put a hammer in your hand after like scratching your head looking at a nail for hours yeah you know what i mean it's like oh okay i can do this that was a high value hundred dollar ticket for workshop so much so and you know afterwards i shook hands with the guy who ran the workshop i was like great workshop man i really like this i went to his blog afterwards and he had basically photos of cool looking books and was saying wouldn't it be cool if there's a business book like this and i was like well absolutely like that's that's the business book that i haven't read because it doesn't exist and I can't read regular business books because they're a billion pages of text and like one diagram, right? Not yeah. very exciting. So reached out and said, if you're going to make that business book, you're going to need my help. And and this was Alex Osterwalder and he believed me. And at the time, it was kind of like, this is, we finished our first call and we're like, I think this is going to be a great exchange because yeah. he was really interested in design and bringing design thinking, which I knew, to business. And I was really interested in business and bringing more of that to my practice and to designers in general who had ideas for products. And from there, we just kind of kept going. And the Business Model Generation was the first book that we worked on. And yeah. we spent nine months working on that book together. So when was this? This was probably 2009, 2010? Yeah, 2009. I yeah. think we launched it self-published late in 2009. And then Wiley picked it up. We had like seven publishers bidding you know to get wow. it because the first copy was such a success because it was such a special product you know what I yeah mean? we put so much work into it and really really refined it and made it something good and what kind of things were, were you and alex doing at that time that made it such a success in terms of activities yeah 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 absolutely one we were having off-sites in beautiful locations and so being inspired <laughs> helps right yeah. you gotta you know alex always says that he's really lazy so he needs cool people around to work <laughs> and he needs to work at beautiful places and i'm like yeah that resonates with me and that's that's yeah. pretty much been my mo as well so we're in nice locations uh, you know chalets in switzerland and i spent a lot of time asking questions because this is not my space right so i didn't know what was going on and then alex would scratch his head to be like oh wow i thought that was obvious and I'm realizing now that it wasn't. Yeah. And that allowed us, you know, having a sort of non-subject matter expert paired with a subject matter expert, you know, really allowed me to amplify the messages and to help fill in the gaps in the content of the book. Yeah. Alex and Eve came fully with the first chapter and the rest of it we really fleshed out as we went along. Yeah. So the first chapter came from his PhD where he developed the business model canvas originally. And you know, it was such a useful tool to so many people already that there was a built-in audience, right? There yeah. was people who were really clamoring for a book that wasn't like an idea that came out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, so we spent a lot of time sketching, trying to get to the bottom of, you know, I would ask, we came in with one design thesis, so one small design detail that, you know, if you pick up a copy of Business Model Generation, you'll notice that there's never an idea from one page that spills over to the next page. So if you turn a page, you're turning a page to a new idea. 
-hmm. And there are sequences of ideas that are related, but they're always new ideas. So we need to be really clear about every spread and said, well, what's the one idea that we're covering here? And if it couldn't fit, well, then, okay, well, what are the two ideas that yeah. actually make up this, what we thought was one idea? Yeah. And so really breaking that down took up a lot of our time. Yeah. And Finding that- the right visualization, sorry, was the last thing that we, we spent a lot of time on was sketching things over and over to try to figure out, well, what, what does this look like? Because yeah. a lot of these things had only been described as business concepts and words before. You Absolutely. Know? So it was very different. So you were bringing the content design to life. That's when we were speaking earlier. Like There was lots of understanding from the business perspective, but you were taking it to the next level. You were like an amplifier. I did say something earlier about it being a conduit, but it's more like an, an amplifier in that sense, but you took it more into the kind of the human-centered side of things. Like, what does it look like to the end user to, who's yeah, going to yeah. read this and make sure that they're actually going to get value from it? And I think... That's what a lot of great designers do. And, you know, it sounds like I just called myself a great designer. So I'm going to backtrack on that. <laughs> but, you know, focus on other well, designers there, who there's, do this. There's a legacy. There's, there's three really um, successful products and more in terms of when you look at the web app. So, like, you, know, you can call yourself what you like. Let's go back to other successful <laughs> designers uh, yeah. you know, out there. And they pair with people who know things in different places and really amplify messages and connect dots, right? That's mm. a big part of design is connecting dots between people and ideas. Yeah. And, you know, that's a big part of what I did on Business Model Generation. Yeah. So after the Business Model Generation book, the Value Proposition Design book came out, which was hugely popular in Australia, especially in the circles that I was doing a lot of fintech work at that stage and there was a lot of product managers and was, we were chatting earlier about how initially I was probably a little bit more cynical around the, the frameworks but what I quickly saw was there was a shared language that was starting to evolve between the communities of product, service, UX, and just generally in the business. They'd be like, oh, let's, well, where's the value proposition uh, canvas for this? And it really helped. And it's what I always try to do within any of the, the kind of consulting work that I end up doing is trying to get that shared language and, and improve the communication between the teams. So talk to us a little bit more around that era of value proposition design, because I think that's when it starts to get more into you start exploring into the digital realm of web apps and like training and stuff. So I'm really keen to hear your perspectives on that. Yeah, yeah. First, I'll speak conceptually about what what we were trying to do with value proposition design. And the challenge that we saw was we looked at a lot of business model canvases and people were just piling the value proposition component and piling the customer segment component with all kinds of details. Like, hmm. who are these people? What are they trying to get done? You know, what are the negative outcomes they see? What is the success criteria for the jobs they're trying to get done? And in the value proposition, we just saw friggin' everything, man. People put everything there. <laughs> yeah. It was just so much. It was so unclear. And this was a signal to us that this was an area that was really lacking shared language and lacking a framework. And the more hmm. we looked, the less we found. And... You know, Alex, as a deep student of business, was really familiar with Clay Christensen's work and Tony Owick's work on jobs to be done, mm. and that's really popular now. In yeah. you know, but this is you know back in 2013 yeah. um, when we started on this, and not as many people really knew about it, especially not in the design thinking world. No, nope, um, that's correct. It was it's kind of fresh, and there's been a lot of talk about jobs to be done since then. But what we were trying to do was take jobs to be done and make it even more actionable, mm. right? So to say, okay, well, the jobs to be done are good. But what happens when you get the job wrong, right? Yeah. What are you actually, so the job is the task, but what does success look like? Yeah. When you do it right, how does that feel, right? Like yeah. what is 
what does good look like yeah. as far as you know that? And so that sort of expanded to this idea of the customer profile, which was one half of the value proposition canvas. And so just making that really clear, this is the target. And yeah. the whole idea of like Tony Olick and uh, Clay Christensen's thesis is that, you know, jobs stay the same, but products change. Yeah. Um, you know, different products serve different jobs, but the jobs are often there for a very long period in time, especially the very foundational ones. Absolutely. And they're supporting ones, and, you know, those can be more connected to relevant technology or whatever. Hey, my Bluetooth headphones are hard to pair or whatever. It's Absolutely. like, okay, well, you know, pairing is kind of like a supporting job. But, yeah. you know, the high-level stuff, if we're going to focus on that, was this gives you a very clear target for innovation. And to say, okay, well, if that's your target, we've just made that really clear in a very simple way. And, you know, there's lots of stuff on personas and, you know, different ways of creating customer profiles. But what we tried to do with that customer profile in the value proposition canvas was to just have three things that you look at. Mm. And if you just look at these three things, we're going to get you 80% of the way there. Yeah. And look, you can go deeper. Don't get me wrong. You know, there's the job context, which is very important. There's more about, you know, the demographics, which may matter, right? Yeah. You know, all that stuff is valuable in terms of understanding your customer. We said if you just focus on these three things and then you connect it to three things in your value proposition, what's the product or service? And then what are the pain relievers and gain creators, which connect to the pains and gains that your customer feels when they do the jobs? Yeah. And basically what you get is basically some sort of verb to their noun. Yeah. And this sort of really easy left to right connection. If it's there conceptually, man, you nailed it. And yeah. now what we had provided to people was a way to sort of zoom in to two building blocks on the business model canvas of that they were having really, really struggling with. So that was the intent with that book specifically. Yeah, because I remember like the business model canvas, that those value proposition segments were tend to be left, oh, we'll have to come back to that. Yep. Or um, they might have a one post there with like a, re a really <laughs> crappy task. On yeah, it, like, yeah, you yeah. know, upload money. <laughs> or you write the name of a product or something there. And it's yeah. like, is a product really the value proposition? Not yeah. really, right? And so it was tough to capture that in one word. But giving people a few pieces to break that down into yeah. what are the features Give it or parts of the product or service? And then why does that matter? Which is basically yeah. the pain reliever and gain creator is that needs to connect to something the customer is feeling. Yeah. And if it doesn't, then not much value uh, in that proposition, I guess, right? When we were chatting earlier, we were, we were chatting a little bit more about impact. And yep. one of the things that uh, I got hung up on earlier in when I first discovered the business model canvas was its impact on, on the world. Like, you know, just because you can do something shouldn't mean you should. Yeah. And I guess I, I've seen the business model being used within the fintech world. Mm -hmm. and it's all about the mindset of that capitalistic mindset of making more money, you know, like, you know faster, yeah. quicker, grow or whatever, scale, scale. And, you know, we, we had a good conversation about that. I just want to get your thoughts on, on, you know, the evolution of the business model canvas and how it might include those things. Well, I can share with you sort of two thoughts. And, you know, one of them is we hear this all the time, which is like, Guys, great canvas. We really love it, but you forgot a block. Like, oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah? What is that? Let me know. Uh, what do you think, right? And everybody thinks we forgot a block. And these are generally very legitimate things that should be paid attention to in the mm -hmm. design of a business. But they're not necessarily part of the business model. A lot of people complain and say, hey, you forgot competition, right? And it's like, well, competition's not part of your business model. They're part of the environment that you exist in, right? That's a different thing. Mm -hmm. And the impact isn't part of the business model either. Some people say, hey, you forgot the impact. 
was like, no, the impact is like, it's almost like exhaust of that business actually running. Mm-hmm. It's like, what does this business create by existing and operating within the framework that you've sort of outlined in your business yeah. model canvas, right? But the byproduct is your sustainable piece. Like if that byproduct is oil, it's, so it, it can it? be or it can't be, right? So yeah. either one you could capture on the business model canvas. You can capture unprofitable businesses or profitable businesses. True. You can capture extremely negative planet-killing businesses, and you can capture incredible future-thinking organizations that are what we would call planet-saving. Yeah, Equally well, right? Like they're yeah. both in there. And it's really the outcome and the intent of the design. It's design intent. What are you trying to really do? Yeah. And that's a question that for a long time for people in the business world was, well, let's increase shareholder return. And for many organizations, that's still the case. And a lot more organizations we're seeing now, especially, you know, have some sort of larger mission. And they think about that mission when they're trying to design the business model of, okay, well, not just how are we, you know, creating more shareholder value necessarily, but how are we creating a positive impact in some way or how are we creating an impact towards this mission that we have yeah so there's a secondary tool that i just want to share in case people are interested in this which is one that we developed to basically forget about the money if that was what made it easier for people to focus on this yeah and there were a lot of organizations that we were finding that you know like a dutch museum and they got their money from the government they had a set amount of money that they got every year and they were spending money every year, but really they had a mission, and that was what was more important for them to focus on. And their mission was to get more impressions of Dutch art every year. So was that to, you know, uh, as far as designing their model, how would they do that? And so having that as basically the revenue that they were looking for, you know, in a way, right, is that that number of impressions, that's all that mattered to them. And so we created this thing called the Mission Model Canvas with Steve Blank. And you can Google it and you know, search it if you're looking for I think that I've seen kind of thing. this, yeah. Yeah, and it just reconfigures a few things a little bit. If you're really a number one mission-driven business like, mm. like those guys were, right? Yeah. And it still covers the other components, but we did reconfigure it a little bit to just allow people to feel like they were focused on that. I believe that it's useful to keep that separate. Yeah, and just use the regular business model canvas. But for some people, it's just so much easier to include it inside yeah. and make it one thing. Absolutely. There was another canvas that kind of came out in between the value proposition canvas, which lean was the canvas, cu- right? Yeah, the lean canvas, but the culture canvas. I think oh, you culture did, map. You did with Dave Gray. Yeah, yeah, with Dave Gray. Yeah, which was fantastic. Yeah. So I'm keen to hear like you know, there's all these interesting projects <laughs> that happen in between the books, yeah, yeah. and like we're, we're going to come to this new book that I'm lucky enough to have had a. You know, flick through this new testing business ideas book that uh, I'd seen on LinkedIn with seen, David Bland. I got to drop his name. David, David Bland, Bland is the, he's, he's a genius behind this one. Absolutely. Um, I'd seen Alex talking about this on LinkedIn, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what this is like. You know, mm-hmm. um, does it include those types of the mission canvas and and the the culture map in so, in this as well? Yeah. So jumping back to you know what you were saying about the idea of these tools are all designed for a reason, right? And they all do something different. So sometimes people get really excited about the business model canvas. Like I did first time I saw it, I was like, this could do it all. This is all we need. Tear down everything else. This is going to make me a million dollars. If it, come on, a million dollars isn't cool, man. A billion is cool, right? Yeah, true. So then, you know, this idea of, it becoming a silver bullet and then quickly fading within yeah. an organization. That can happen very easily where you get your hopes up too much and you're like, oh, this doesn't do everything like I really hoped it would. The business model canvas helps you understand how you're 
capturing value for your business, mm-hmm. right? How you're creating and capturing value in general, yeah. then the value proposition canvas makes really clear how you're creating value for your customer. Yeah. And the culture map that we worked on with Dave Gray in between helps you show how you're creating value for your employees and what's the operating system of your company in a way, yeah. right? And I remember we were driving around with Dave Gray. He was in Switzerland for something, and Alex and I were both there. We are driving around the car, and Dave was saying, you know, I'm, I'm working on a couple of new things. And he shared one thing. We're kind of like, okay, that's kind of interesting. And then he said, I'm thinking about making a map for culture. And, like, hair on the back of my neck went up. I was like, we need that map. Like, yeah. that, let's make the map. Come yeah, on. Yeah. It's going to be exciting. Let's do yeah. it. And uh, the first map he came up with had, like, 19 boxes, right? It was, like, yeah. 19 different building blocks. And over a series of iterations, you know, and you know, I got to give credit to Alex and Eve here. They're just really good at narrowing down the categories and yeah. realizing, like, well, what are we really talking about here? And you know, I had a couple of contributions to that, but really, you know, Alex and Eve worked with Dave to bring that down to you know the three boxes yeah, to uh, distill it down to those, those just three, three. and yeah. and it works so well. You yeah. know what I mean? You know, between that top layer of what you can see happening as far as a behavior. What's driving that behavior, and what are the enablers or blockers yeah. to the things that are driving or, or block? Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. I, I've I've used it uh, in several clients, and uh, it went down very well. Good to hear. So, like one of the questions from um, a previous guest, actually, he's on the Slack channel, Farouk Avdi, and it's more around the success planning of the application of these methods. Mm-hmm. So say you do a business model uh, canvas workshop and within that you might also do a value proposition canvas as well and like everyone is really pumped, everyone's yeah, really amped yeah. and they're like, who is this Alan Smith? Who is this Alex Sauce? <laughs> Only joking. They probably are. But after the workshop, they go away and, you know, their canvas is hanging on the wall. Yep. So what what have you seen and what have you seen from uh, people who've adopted it and uh, that's worked to improve the succession of these maps to become yeah. part of the DNA and the processes and how they're working? So think about it like this. How many workshops have you been to that were really exciting and then never went anywhere, right? It's most of them. Mm. Like that's most of them. And so, you know, Ferg's question is really good because he's recognizing the main pain associated with that sort of first step of, you know, the job, you know, that he might be experiencing is I need to create a shared language for talking about one of the most important parts of our business, Hmm. right? Our value proposition. I need to connect, you know, sales and marketing and product and, you know, support customer success to really understand who is our customer and what are we offering them. And so they bring everybody together into a workshop and people love the workshop. They're like, cool, we made these canvases. That's great. And then what happens afterwards? And I think this is so, so common. It's a cultural thing though. It really is. And, you know, what are the behaviors that, you know, drive people to, you know, have the outcome of speaking the same language yeah. more often? Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, culturally, you know, using tools is something that a lot of organizations don't do. Yeah. Business as usual is so much easier. Mm-hmm. Just falling back on a conversation or saying like, yeah, I just wrote up a new Google Doc and like put it all in there. Like, yeah, I just... I just reorganized the CRM like a seventh time to like, you know, try to capture some of this yeah. stuff. And yeah, it's all in there, but no, nobody else can edit it. It's just me. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Let I'm, me know if you need any changes to that. Yeah. And none of these work, right? And so the big challenge is one, you know, there needs to be a mindset shift. Yeah. So a lot of people in the organization need to understand why this is important and why this tool is one that's really going to help us. And this goes beyond just our tools. 
Yeah. I'm speaking about tools in general, yeah. right? Because that's I, I love tools in general. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. I really love and believe in the strategizer tools, and I'll talk about those all day. But just talking about tools in general and processes in general. The second thing is bringing everyone up to a level of competency where they feel like they can actually continue to contribute. Because yeah. I can kind of hang back in a workshop and pretend like I'm, I'm figuring things out. But when it comes time to like you send something to me, I can pretend I'm busy like seven times before you know i actually you know do anything or don't do anything so getting everyone to that same level of competency where nobody feels like they're getting left behind is something that's really important having some sort of rituals in place like or ceremonies where tools and that language is being brought back up again yeah and or shared between people so if it's like you know every monday we have our you know customer evidence meeting well, rather than just telling stories, we present things using the customer profile yeah. as an example. So how are these tools then integrated into existing yeah. habits you know, or ceremonies the company already Absolutely. has? It's like a great easy hack of saying, well, we're already doing this. Hey, can I tack on this tool to this thing? Yeah. Right? So like whenever I've used the value proposition canvas, I actually use that almost like a former persona in some ways, to, yeah. especially if you're working in a product-centric uh, organization. So as you're doing your more research, it's fluid, it's changing, it's always being updated and always being maintained. The problem is if you're not maintaining it and you're keeping it up there and that's your source of truth and your customers evolving and your tasks aren't evolving and you're not putting any sort of definition around what a task is and stuff, that's when it becomes more problematic. And it breaks so quick, right? Yeah. Like it breaks so quick. It's like you're on a great track, you're going to the gym, you know, four days a week, yeah. you're doing real, real good. And then one day, you know... Some mates are going out, so you go out, and then you miss a day, and then you miss two days, and then you're way behind. And now there's like two versions of this thing, and nobody wants to do the extra work to like get things to like hooked back up again and refresh the working document from the other like sort of a new working document. Yeah, and it's it's that easy to fall off the bandwagon with a lot of this stuff. And it's like we all know the value we get from good habits. Yeah, yet. It's so difficult to keep on track with good habits. It, it is ops at the end of the day. It, it is ma- maintaining it. It is ops. It's strategic ops because this is a whole strategy, right? Like the strategizer, strategic tools. Yeah. But then how do you change the way you operate when it comes to strategy and yeah. to go beyond a conversation, which is yeah. how, again, a conversation on whiteboard is how 90% of this stuff gets done. Yeah. And if you think that that's as effective, you're fooling yourself. Yeah, right? it's just, it doesn't work as well. So we've gone through the business model, the value prop, and now we're, we've got this book in front of us, uh, Testing Business Ideas. It sounds, uh, and this is not a sales pitch, it sounds exciting because it's more like a rest. It is. This is, <laughs> it, this is exci- I'm excited about it this It is, book, like, man. and it sounds like it's going to be a great tool for people who are on that trajectory, you know, to be able to have these recipes for workshops and what they can and can't do and what they should do. Let, let me reframe a component of that, yeah. which is that, you know, if we talked about the questions the other tools answer, you know, how do you create mm. value for your business? How do you create value for your customer? How do you create value for your team, your employees? Yeah. And then this one is really, how do you know you were right? Because we can have a great session on a whiteboard or on a canvas, whether that's online or in person, and be completely wrong. It could yeah. be like a total group thing. It would be like, you know, we the both, wrong direction. Exactly. We we're just too excited. We built it on our assumptions, which were you know, valid or invalid at that point in time, right or wrong. And the chances that we were a hundred percent right in our design the first time around is basically zero. Like that never happens. So the idea of, you know, this is something that's familiar to, you know, people in UX, 
you do usability testing because you design something and you realize that what you intended didn't connect with people in a certain way yeah. just because, right? Because you can't always research, be right. Evidence-based research. Evidence-based research, going yeah. out and collecting evidence. And this idea of collecting evidence in a systematic way that is not just building the business, because you can collect evidence that way, right? Yeah. It's just real expensive <laughs> to do yeah. it that way. Yeah. It takes a really long time. So how do we compress that cycle and create evidence to support a business idea yeah. or a product shift? Or even if it's, whether it's a business idea for an entire business and a product line or a change within it of like, you know, we're Adobe and we're trying to go from box software to cloud. Yeah. You know, that's a big move. How do you create evidence to suggest that this is going to work, right? Yeah. There's kind of three components you need to look at. So this book helps answer the question of, how do you know if you were right in your business idea? Hmm. The three components that sort of break down into different parts of the business model canvas and value proposition canvas come from IDEO originally and some other places. You know, David was trying to actually source it and he was like, there's seven people who, I keep using the number seven today as far as like my random <laughs> go-to. It's like there's 93 people who are apparently uh, should be credited for <laughs> this desirability, feasibility, viability, yeah. like trifecta of yeah. if you can look at, is this something people want, right? Yeah. Desirability, and that's the value proposition canvas as well as the sort of front stage of the business model canvas. Is this something we can build feasibly? Can we do that? Can we support yeah. these costs? Can we figure out that technology? You know, Can we build the right partners and infrastructure to make that happen? And then lastly, the viability. If we do that, is this worthwhile as a business? Yeah. And most changes to any existing business or any new business overall has some amount of risk, right? Yeah. Like any new change has some amount of risk because again, it's built on the assumptions that we had when we're just two super smart, good looking guys working on an idea on you, a whiteboard. You're talking about us? Yeah, yeah. Us. <laughs> okay, right, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, or no, I'm, I'm projecting to the listeners who are <laughs> oh, also two. Of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so th this idea of systematically reducing that risk, that's the job of yeah. rather than how do we build this thing, it's let's identify the risks figure out which are the ones we have evidence for already yeah. because yeah. there's always some evidence in the organization, right? Absolutely. You know, Adobe had seen things that told them that this was the way of the future. Yeah. But there were other things that they were making changes on where they weren't quite so sure. Yeah. And so what are those? And how do we produce evidence to suggest that we're not going to yeah. blow everything up when we make this move? And the, the search for that evidence is going to save us much more time in the long run rather than just trying to build the thing Yeah, 99% of the time. Adobe is probably a good case study, in, in fact, that they, they may have you know, had a really successful workshop at the start but may not have been evaluating as they go along. They lost me and a number of the people in the community as customers because the, the value that they were giving us versus the cost, you know, it just wasn't there. The ratio was, was gone. So now we look at Affinity, this new uh, software that's come out in the last couple of years, and we're all in with Affinity. A lot of a large part of the community have deleted cloud, and mm. they've moved off it. They're like, you know, you get this backlash. So um, it's like I have ninety-two subscriptions right now. I'm using ninety-two, not ninety-three. <laughs> ninety-two subscriptions. I can't afford any more subscriptions. Yeah. Why is everyone trying to subscribe me to something? Yeah, that whole model of like, let's just do a subscription model. People pay yeah. ten dollars. I'm like, really? The run cost of of doing your job suddenly is in the thousands. It adds up really quick. Yeah, it, it just scales. So I'll drop a link to the this book. Um, you know, for people to pre-order uh, if we get out in time. If not. 
I'll drop a link into the show notes for this book. It's going to be out on November the 16th. Is that what you said? I think November 12th are shipping it from Amazon. Not, not November the 7th. Or November 93rd. In November, it's out. <laughs> so um, we'll, we'll drop a link in uh, into the show notes anyway. Alan, it was brilliant chatting to you. I'm delighted to we've managed to connect in Toronto. Um, if anyone wants to reach out to you directly, are you on Twitter or LinkedIn? I'm, not a, I'm, I'm a pretty ghosty type guy, but I have email. Yeah. And so you can email me at alan at strategizer.com. Great stuff. A-L-A-N and strategizer is strategy with a Z-E-R on the yeah, end. Yeah, absolutely. Alan, thanks. That's so much. Z-E-R, not Z-E-R. Z-E-R. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alan, thanks so much for your time. Thanks. So there you have it. Thanks for listening to Bringing Design Closer. If you want to learn more about the other shows on the This Is Hate CD network, feel free to visit thisishcd.com, where you can also sign up to our newsletter or join our Slack channel where you can connect with other human-centered design practitioners around the world. Thanks for listening and see you next time.